You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 179 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on August Fence. August, wow. Dude, that was awesome. That was a good one. That was fantastic. <laughs> August 5th, I'm Vince. <laughs> What's up, That's Raj? my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you lead a sad existence when this is the highlight of your day. Vince screwing up. Yes. I'm glad I can bring such joy, joy. into your life. Well, you have. Coincidentally, for four years on this podcast. Happy oh anniversary. <laughs> Our anniversary was quite literally yesterday. Wow. It was August 4th, 2010 was the first. God, I was so young and stupid back okay. then. Instead you thought I'd take you places. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, for this week, uh, I know I've known for quite a while now I wanted to do something Guardians of the Galaxy themed because, of course, the big movie came out last weekend and I went through my giant pile of paperbacks and trying to find a story that we could do that functions as a standalone and as something that you might conceivably possibly be interested in. (laughs) Did I come close to succeeding in that regard. Okay, what makes you think that I would not be interested in reading something like this? Well, something like this, because this is largely out of tone with a lot of the other cosmic stuff. That's why I decided to pick this particular miniseries. So what I decided on was the Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord miniseries from 2007. Uh, in 2006, that was Marvel's big uh, relaunch of their cosmic setting, if you will, with the first Annihilation series. And it worked out so well, that's where we got the Nova ongoing series. So the next year, they decided to do a follow-up with Annihilation Conquest. And the way the events worked is they put out a prologue issue kind of setting the stage. Then they did a series of small mini series, each focusing on a separate character. And then that all funnels into the big main event. So one of the ones they did for conquest was focusing on the character of star Lord. And I really liked how they gave kind of the backstory and did not let up on just how goofy the character was back in the 70s and i don't know if the entirety of that was canon at the time or if they kind of made up some of it because i never read any of the old stuff but delving into that story in his past where he chose to wipe out an entire mining colony in order to stop an enemy as he said he sacrificed thousands to save millions and that lended a different air to the character that really led into this miniseries where they even say flat out right here it's marvel's version of the dirty dozen and i particularly enjoy that movie i'm guessing you did as well yeah okay so how did you like this adaptation of that concept I liked it. The only thing for me, of course, was wondering how much of it was canon and how much of it was made up on the fly for for this. Because 
The, having... the only thing I'm not sure about is that last little bit of Quill's backstory at the beginning. But like I said, it's possible. I just never read any of the older stuff. And if you go back now and you know try to research it, since it's been at, if it wasn't canon at the time, it's been retconned in, so it's kind of hard to tell overall. Right. Okay. Because I've actually I read some of the Guardian stuff. So there. Okay. And it's kind of hard to tell if they had a clue what they were doing at times or if they were just told, these are your characters. You got a tree, a raccoon, a couple of idiots, green people. Go for it. Because quite often it's not, they're not always the same people with the same backstories. I mean, hell, right. Groot, when he started off, was a villain who came and tried to take over a city. Mm-hmm. So, Back in, like, 1960. Yeah. Groot actually premiered in the comics before Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, or just about anybody other than Captain America. Yeah. So it's kind of weird seeing, trying to place what's what kind of thing. That mm-hmm. said, though, taking this just in and of itself... I actually really enjoyed it. I I prefer this version of Peter Quill, who is worn down by the things that he's done, and not the young, cocky, stupid one. So, and and you could even see it in the illustrations when he's not wearing that ridiculous mask. You can see like the eyes are half open. He's he's only partially there, and I I really I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So the concept for this miniseries, uh, written by Keith Giffen, art by Timothy Green, Victor Olazaba, and Nathan Fairbairn. And I do know going in, what they wanted to do was to set up for the eventual reformation of the Guardians of the Galaxy with Star-Lord as the leader. And they brought him in. Uh, the prologue, he was on the Kree homeworld of Hala, basically working as a security expert. Uh basically helping them put their defenses back together after the first Annihilation event. Goes very poorly. Uh, Hala and a significant portion of the galaxy ends up being taken over by the Phalanx, uh, a techno-organic species that was just conquering anything tech-based. You were pretty much done. Uh, Quill was thought dead, ended up being brought back by some Kree operatives and sent in as basically a suicide team. You know, as I say, they're expendable people they don't particularly care about, but have a certain skill set that allow them to operate in this tech free environment. And going with the whole dirty dozen concept, they're all prisoners as well. So who we have here is of course Star Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Mantis, Bug, Deathcry, and the current Captain Universe, because the Captain Universe power just kind of bounces around wherever it's needed. And what's great about this and what sets it up as having this common thread running between them, with the exception of Captain Universe, because like I said that he isn't particularly a character, just more of a concept. None of these characters had been seen anywhere in comics in decades, like 90s and 80s for some of them. So they'd been gone for so long, they could kind of rework a lot of the backstories and the canon just to make it work for this story. And like you said, it does bring the team together with some interesting personalities. Yeah. Yeah. They were all actually enjoyable. Actually, ironically, the one that was the least enjoyable was Groot. And again, here we have the, in this, he talks 
Whereas in like current stuff, it's only I am Groot. Yes. So. As as they explained that at the time, uh, when after this was over, Groot sacrifices himself in the main miniseries. And when he regrows, his vocal cords don't grow back ah. properly. And then Hardly in makes the, sense, but okay. Yeah, and like the Mo- in the Marvel Now version of it, where they've kind of gone back to Groot's past, and now they've—I guess—they've just retconned it to saying all of the Groot species talk like that. But at the time, no, he he talked, and then they explained why he stopped talking before I, it was eventually retconned uh, a couple years ago. It, it seems like a ridiculous point to make up, but he's one of the primary characters, same as the <laughs> raccoon. So I mean, it's—it it was good. I mean, as ridiculous as again. Having a talking raccoon in a comic can be. It it was enjoyable. But and I the, like how they took the time to really explain what each of these people can lend to the team. Instead of just throwing together a bunch of random characters, they they gave a little bit of backstory for each character, explaining how they ended up in prison and what their purpose was in joining Quill. You know, you had Mantis, she's a martial artist, uh, you know, raccoon, how they, he's a tactical genius. And like I said, it fits in with the core concept of the story. And these are all characters that can operate and do their things without needing technology, which is a weakness. So I, whatever planning went into this miniseries was very well done. The only thing that, that I had an issue with that would have been so easy for them to address. And it's something that they addressed in the suicide squad on the DC side is once we let you guys loose, you're going to do what you're supposed to do and not just take off because there's a bomb in your brain. Mm -hmm. Nothing here is said as to why all of these criminals are going to actually adhere to this suicide job. There's no mention of what will happen if they can just, you know, pop in their ship and take off instead. Uh, That's actually something I hadn't considered and I'll grant you that. Yeah, so the actual story itself is your traditional kind of heroic war story, if you will, with uh, last stands and sacrifices <laughs> and characters who make sacrificial last stands more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Gabriel, the guy who's playing Captain Universe, to my knowledge, this is the only point he was ever used. Uh, at that, But that particular character with the universe powers, I thought he was awesome. <laughs> he was all right, but... He oh was, yeah, well, yeah, he just the just the, you know, the persona he set forth and you know, struggling with basically killing one of his own teammates and the character arc he went through in four yes. issues was pretty good. That I'll give you. Yeah. The character in and of himself wasn't that interesting. It's what he went through that made him interesting in the end. Mhm. And like I said, we're not going to spend a, a great deal talking about this because we have a lot of other stuff to get to. I thought this was just an interesting story to take a look at because this four-issue miniseries was really the driving force behind the entire modern interpretation of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, After the main event is when Star-Lord, as we saw here, they found an antidote, basically, for the virus that was being used. And we even had that... uh, that moral issue where they realize all of the Cree people are basically walking virus factories and even mentioning to the point of, are we going to sacrifice all of these people because they're potential threats? 
And it tied back in with that whole story of Peter. Of course, they don't end up going down that route. But just bringing up that possibility as a reader set a lot of things in motion for me. So once they eventually get this antidote in the main series, the team goes back in to distribute the antidote. Groot is just an absolute badass in that one where he uh, <laughs> he just turns into this giant tree and sets himself on fire to basically <laughs> put the antidote into the atmosphere. It was it was cool stuff. And then this was between this and the previous annihilation event is when Quill realized that there needed to be a larger force for good, you know, independent of all the politics. And that's when he sets up the Guardians of the Galaxy with the surviving members of this team, as well as he brings in uh, Drax and Gamera, Nova and a few of the other characters from the larger cosmic setting. And I absolutely loved all of those comics. I say it's not something you can easily jump into because it depends on so much backstory from the previous events, which is why I kind of struggled with picking one story that worked well. But I've read all of these mid-2000s comics, uh, cosmic comics, several times over. And it's really, for me, one of my favorite eras in comic history. So I'm glad that I could at least get you to enjoy part of it because, uh, God, it was actually one of our early episodes, like episode three or four or something, where I tried to get you to read the Thanos Imperative and you just weren't having it. Not necessarily because you disliked it, (laughs) but because it was built on, you know, five or six years of backstory that you just didn't understand. So It wasn't just that I didn't understand. There was a lot of stupidity in there, too, let's be honest. I loved it. Captain... America throwing his shield at Thanos? No, no, Please. no. Not the Infinity Gauntlet. Which one are you talking about then? This was this came out in like 2010. Like This was one of our first episodes we ever did where I had you read this because it was just starting to come out. Oh, okay. I don't remember yeah, I, no, I, I fully admit that Infinity Gauntlet didn't hold up. But if I'm remembering correctly, your issues with Thanos Imperative was more that you didn't understand what was going on. Oh, I think I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, this gets a small thumbs up. Any, does this give you any interest in reading beyond this in the setting? Okay, first of all, I didn't say small. You keep downplaying what I think of this, all right? <laughs> okay, I, I apologize. I, I, in, I, came, I came in with a preconceived notion of your, <laughs> of your reaction. I enjoyed it. I did. There were a couple mm-hmm. of points that were either ridiculous or didn't quite work or were a little too cliche when you're already working off of a cliched concept as a whole the dirty dozen kind of thing that's been done many many times then you got to be careful not to just you know paint your walls with cliche at that point be put in a little bit more original stuff and while there was some there was still a lot that was like eh. But overall, it was still, yes, it was a very good story. And the, the things that happen, especially with, with What's-His-Face killing his uh, team member there, and then what he goes through, yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. I, I did enjoy it. All right. Well, that makes me happy to hear. And as I said, we're keeping the discussion short this week because we skipped what we're reading last week. And I know I actually have a ton. <laughs> so I'm actually going to go through with a couple and I hand it off to you before I come back with the rest of mine. Uh, first of all, Ragnarok. Uh, from IDW. It's the new comic series from Walt Simonson. And as I've said before, Walt Simonson for me is iconic because of the work he did on Thor in the 80s. So this is him going back to that 
Norse god sort of setting and just running wild with it where he's not beholden to any Marvel canon or anything. And it starts off with the actual Battle of Ragnarok, huge, gigantic battle scenes, Thor facing off against the Jormagand serpent, like fantastic stuff. But that's only a couple pages from what he sets up there is this basically a fantasy adventure that takes place in these Norse mythology inspired worlds where now the gods are dead. I mean, Ragnarok's over. The battle's done. The gods are all dead. It focuses on the characters that are left behind, you know, some dark elves, some trolls, some stuff like that. And I just thought it was an interesting take on a very familiar concept. I'm really looking forward to seeing where he's going because by the end of the first issue, they basically have broken into Thor's tomb. And I've never been disappointed with Simmonson's style. It's really interesting to see. Go looking back at the work he did 30 years ago now to his art now. The style has changed dramatically, but it's still recognizable as the same guy. And it's really cool to see somebody evolve over the course of decades like that. I loved it. You I, actually read it? Yeah, damn right. Wow. I, wait, stop it. <laughs> I read you're, you're things. You're really surprising me this week. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The only thing I didn't like is uh, John Workman, letterer. He needs to get another job. I the using the Norse style writing initially makes it harder to read, which slows down the pace of the story, your comprehension, everything. I, I hate when they do that. And then the actual lettering throughout was bad. It was not good. That's the only complaint I have. Everything else from the story, the art, the the coloring, I really enjoyed it a lot. See, for me, Workman is a legend in the industry. He's He worked care. on the Simmonson stuff back in the day. So for me, like I've just seen that style so much, it didn't bother me. But I but can definitely see how somebody... We saw that style 20 years ago. Yeah. Th- it, times it have changed. changed times have changed and and it's you know the the seeing this style now to me as a reader and again and i can say like christ i was reading comics before you were born so i can look at this and say yeah back in the day i can remember how they all looked like that but not anymore people draw differently ink differently everything so this really actually it's it's gotten to the point where it's that noticeable when you come across it now and you don't want anything taking you out of a story while you're reading it, even something as simple as the lettering. Yeah, like, like I said, we've seen how Simmonson himself has changed his writing style and his drawing style. Yeah. There, there's no reason that uh, the lettering can't be updated as well. Yeah, but phenomenal. And the art in that initial fight, holy Christ. Like yeah. some of these panels would have taken a bloody long time to ink er, to draw and ink. Like, geez. this was initially announced at last year's San Diego Comic Con, yeah. and it just came out two weeks ago. Yeah, it, it was it was quite good. Mm-hmm. I also read the first uh, of the new Storm comic. Did you check that one out? Yes, I did. What did you think of that one? Because I <laughs> I, I overall know. enjoyed it, but then you overall enjoyed it more than me. Okay, I, I I like the concept, what concept of bringing in you know the various aspects of Storm, how you know all the things she's done, all the things she's responsible for, just her general attitude of doing things her way, 
I said, oh, the issue itself was a bit iffy, but I said, I like the concept. I, I don't know if it's something I'm going to read on a monthly basis, though. I like Storm as a character. I especially liked her as a character way back in the day when she lost her powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things about her that I like, but this I thought was I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's the told to stand down, stands down, made to feel like a hypocrite by a kid, goes back and does what's right. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have a character that she's spent how many issues in how many different X-Men titles telling people to do what they're told and then just does whatever she wants here. I, I did not like this story at all. Okay. All right. And then if you remember, I told you that the Turtles in Time series was coming out. I was really interested in checking that out. I looked at it. <laughs> I cannot tell you how the story was because I looked at it, got through two pages of the artwork and went, no, like I, I can't tell you how good the story is because the artwork was just absolutely atrocious. Like I can't believe this is something that was published by a professional <laughs> industry publisher like IDW. It was just really, really bad. I have them. I haven't read them yet. Mm hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm going to hand it off to you and then come back for some more of mine. All right, then. Well, I read other Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Okay. And, Modern stuff or? Well, a little bit of everything, apparently. Oh, okay. Well. But it's because I went to go see the movie. Oh. Oh. I assumed you would be talking about this right at the beginning. Well, I, I, I kind of filed it into what we're reading. So. Oh, you were planning on coming back to this? Yes. All yeah, right. Well, we may as well talk about it now. Absolutely. It we've, we've established. So, yes, I went to go see it. And it was freaking awesome. Yeah. It was better than Avengers. Like, I enjoyed it that much. And I've made clear my thoughts on some of these characters. But it was so well done that... You can't help but love it. And freaking Rockin' Raccoon stole every scene he was in. Uh, it was... The voice acting was phenomenal. The special effects were... I, I mean, I went to go see it with a neighbor buddy of mine. And as we were driving back after, I'm saying, you know, I can remember... And yes, it was a while back when I was a kid. Because coming out and there's a whole bunch of teenagers and kids as well coming out at the same time as us. And thinking of the campy sci-fi films that we used to see when we were young and having to rely on our imagination to fill in because they were so terrible and he's about my age. (laughs) Um, And here you are watching a movie that this raccoon could just as well be real. It was that well done. There are points I think I forgot it was CGI. Oh yeah. It was so well done that you're completely immersed in it. And we went to go see the IMAX 3D version. I don't know which one you went to. I just saw a standard version. Okay. <laughs> I I actually like 3D. My wife can't watch it because she gets motion sickness. So typically I'll see it if we go see a movie or whatever. And a lot of times, as you well know, you know, sometimes it's well done. Sometimes it's crap. But when it's well done, especially a space movie, when it's well done, like it's just phenomenal. IMAX 3D? was insane it was it it was in my opinion i I didn't see the other ones but i cannot even imagine that it would have the same presence as this 
had. It was insane how good this looked. And the special effects, even on these massive screens, never, you you never lost that immersion. It, it was that good. See, I've been having that discussion all week of trying to compare Guardians to Avengers. And I still stand that the final climactic battle of Avengers is bigger than anything else we've seen. But from beginning to end, Guardians never stopped being great. Like Avengers had some really big lulls. Oh. But from, from moment go in Guardians until the, the very end, like you were thoroughly in, entertained throughout. Be it character work, funny dialogue, action scenes. There was always something going on in Guardians. And it, it was just two hours of nonstop fun. The thing, too, is that because of the type of show that it is, again, we were talking about this on the way back, you can't take yourself too seriously, but you can't make a farce of yourself so that your movie turns into kind of a parody. It still has to be serious. Just don't take yourself seriously. And it walks that fine line, dances on that fine line, literally, <laughs> and has a blast. And so when you're watching it, you don't, you don't lose immersion whenever you laugh and you're just as invested throughout all of the, um, not just action moments, but the dramatic moments too. There's a lot of killing going on here. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just so well written too, in terms of the characters, like you pointed out. Now, the thing about the guardians is like, as we established here on, on the podcast, you obviously have read a lot more of these than I have. So I don't know these characters inside and out. I, I know who they are, but I don't know them that, that well. And a lot of other people are in that same boat because this isn't your Iron Man and Captain America that everybody knows. It's a talking raccoon in a tree and a goofball. <laughs> so we go in not having any of those preconceived notions. So the film has to suck us into those characters so that we care because otherwise it's, you can't be invested in the movie if you can't be invested in the characters. So that's why I think it's better than Avengers as well, because it had an uphill climb to begin with to make us care about these people. And it does that amazingly. Like, yeah, the end scene. And, and this is not bashing Avengers people. I loved Avengers. I've seen mm -hmm. it multiple times and I will continue to. And yes, the end fight at the end of Avengers was spectacular. Although I will challenge you and say that the end here with the ship and everything going on there was freaking incredible as yeah, well. It, it had more weight to it. Like, Oh it, yeah. It, you had that feeling that the bad guys could conceivably win, yeah. which you knew in Avengers, like no matter how much of a threat that the Chitari posed, it, they're the Avengers. Well, the, you know, the, the Avengers too, I mean, no spoiler at this point, but I mean, Iron Man goes through the portal you know he's coming back. Close the mm -hmm. portal. Yeah, well, we know he's going to come back. It's Iron Man. He's coming back. Whereas any of these to a certain degree, at least from an audience's perspective that doesn't know them that well, they are more expendable. So I, it was just... I would quite literally go see it again, pay to go see it again. I'm actually making plans to do just that. Yeah, I would. I would go see it in IMAX 3D 
again just to pick up on a lot of different little things. There was there was there's no, a lot of dialogue I missed just because people were laughing too yeah. loud. There was no point in the movie where you know I would have thought, okay, good time to go get a popcorn or, or just kind mm-hmm. of zoning up. Never at any point. It had me from the very beginning to the end. So, yeah. One of the things I find most interesting about this, and this is from a personal standpoint, because I'm basically the same age as Star Lord. <laughs> so I'm looking back like, okay, thinking back to 1988, I'd seen Star Wars, I'd seen The Last Starfighter, you know, Flight of the Navigator. If I was taken off Earth at that point, with that being kind of my mindset of what life is supposed to be like in outer space, that's the exact character I would have been 20 years <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so it, it was great. That's, uh, and, and to the point of not just laughs from characters that you expect laughs from, but actually a few dramatic moments from the freaking raccoon of all people too. That, that bar scene was, and, was a tearjerker. And the thing too is that, Again, walking, dancing on that fine line of we're not going to drag out this drama too long because then it doesn't matter. It doesn't have weight. Just long enough that you're like, holy crap, kind of hit me in the feels right there. And then it's done. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I I came home and uh, the wife didn't know which show we'd gone to see. And she asked and I and she'd ironically been watching trailers when I got home because we do that periodically. And she said, I just saw the trailer for that. It looks really good. That raccoon is funny. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll buy it when it comes out. (laughs) And at this point, I have absolutely no idea when the soundtrack is going to stop playing in my head. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. But see, that's kind of music I grew up to listening to. And so it was, I'm hearing all these songs game. My God, this soundtrack is amazing. It fits so perfectly and tying it into his little tape player, which ironically I had one of those when I was a kid. Um, it was just like, wow, this is the, it was, yeah, I, again, I can't say enough. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I've read some guardians of the galaxy. All right. So hence why I I'm knew going to Gro- stop being surprised at this point. Groot was a freaking big dude because it was like, there it is. And that issue was terrible. <laughs> Tales to astonish. And uh, yeah, that was terrible. But it was indicative of the time. I don't even know when the hell this thing came 1960. out. Yeah. So it was it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, equally terrible was the brand new um, Guardians of the Galaxy Infinity. Um, I, this digital? was a direct digital one. Yeah. I never read those. This is bad. It was bad. <laughs> it's one of those where they're they're telling a story of how some big battle happened and they're disagreeing, so it's showing each other's perspectives and then they get rescued. It is so campy and stupid. I it was bad. Bad, bad. The only redeeming thing about this was that the art was spectacular. That's it. Bad. And lastly, in terms of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I also read the Star-Lord one. Which one is it called? Uh, Legendary Star-Lord. The new one. I haven't read that yet. Um, So, 
I take it I shouldn't read it. You'll probably love it. Um, I mean, Medina's art. Holy crap. Phenomenal artwork. It's been a while since we've seen him, too. Yeah, this because he's been working on this. I mean, it's not like it was terrible. It's just that... I don't know. It wasn't that great. It was just, meh, it was all right. I wonder what they can do with that character as a standalone. And that's what part of the problem is here. This, you know, little too full of himself character that, yeah, he's a little hardened by everything he's been through, but not quite enough. Uh, And so uh, it, it, again, a little campy, a little relying on, on cliches that we've seen before. So Mm -hmm. then not really that again, you'll probably love it. I would assume, but I was like, man, not so big a deal. All right. Okay, go ahead, and then I'll come back after. All right, then. Uh, I read Hawkeye number 19 finally came out after the long way to return. And the buildup for this was that uh, back in issue 16, uh, Clint and Barney were attacked, and that this issue was going to be that uh, Clint had gone deaf from the trauma, at least temporarily. And it's interesting seeing, you know, Fraction's been talking about this forever because they've been working on this issue for months because the entire issue is told through sign language. So it just took David Aja forever to both research and draw all of the signing in there. And the, the effect is actually pretty well done. Uh, and like at Fraction point out, like going back to like the first issue where we thought Clint was just kind of like blocking out stuff, like whatever, he hadn't had his coffee yet, he didn't care. But other people interpreted that as Clint's hard of hearing. So Fraction actually ran with that, and that's why he wrote this particular issue. They partnered with uh, sign language specialists at uh, universities and all kinds of stuff. And it was interesting because there's there's no words. But it's really awkward to read, too, because you you. It's not like the pizza dog issue where they kind of use pictures and whatnot to denote what's going on. They just do it. And you have to, as a reader, just kind of fill in the blanks if you don't know sign language. And it's interesting because David Aja said, you know, a couple of days after it came out, and he's like, a lot of people are complaining that it's really difficult to read the issue. And he's like, well, congratulations. Now you know what it's like to live with a disability. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Like, it's just kind of hard to put into words. Like it was really awkward, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And what it did for the character development, especially with the two of them as brothers, because it flashed back to a time where Clint had again lost his hearing and they had to learn sign language as children and going through stuff like growing up together and how Clint is just being too much of a hard head to basically admit this fault in himself. Like, I'm going to have to read through it again because I said it it was awkward to read and I keep coming back to that phrase. So I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it just because of that, but for what it does, I think it did it very well. Hmm. Cool. Warrior chicken pollo. (laughs) I didn't even know this was coming out. And then I saw it and I was like, give me, give me, give me. forgot about it. And I was like, oh, my God. Pollo is basically Conan the Barbarian <laughs> in this. I remember they did the secret agent Pollo, I think, last year. And it was like, eh, that was all right. 
No, this was just flat out awesome beginning to end. <laughs> if you enjoy Chew and you love the crazy side stories that they keep going on with Poyo, this was amazing. I loved this one. Pulling the skeleton out of somebody. Splush. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I loved it. And the, okay, well, and then this is where I was going to talk about the movie. So that's all I got this week. Oh well, then I got a few more. Um, okay, let's stick with Marvel for now. Have you been reading the Xavier's Last Will and Testament? I have. Gonna have to see where it ends up. Yeah, because they're doing it while there's another thing going on with that powerful mutant that's blowing crap up. Meanwhile, Dazzler's gone batshit crazy (laughs) wanting to find Mystique. It's understandable. It is. I just... (laughs) So there's a lot going on. So the... um, But the last issue where... I don't want to spoil it, but where She-Hulk lets on a few things and they're all like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. (laughs) That was good. That was number 24. Did you read that one? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, I... It makes me curious where the other things are going to come from. And see, this is this is the kind of thing where that original sin thing of the secrets coming out, this is a more organic way of doing that that makes sense. He's telling them as part of his last will and testament. And of course, there's going to be things that you don't know about a person that you find out at their death, as opposed to a giant eye telling everybody all of these random things. So... That's why I kind of really enjoyed this a lot more. And I'm curious where it's going to go from here. See, and that's what's interesting because it's branded with original sin yeah. because conceptually it fits right in. It just has absolutely nothing to do with it from a story standpoint. And it's better because of it. I agree. So uh, DC side, just to look at the beyonds, um, Batman Beyond is on a new story arc right now, which again, I know that you're not, you know, care but it's the mark of the phantasm and it's a seven parter and it's him finding out who killed his father mcginnis finally and there's all kinds of stuff going on there it again another one that i don't want to spoil anything about this but to say there's been three issues in this so far i believe two three and uh it's been really quite enjoyable. He's back with Bruce again because he kind of wasn't with him for a little bit there, having had enough of him. But he still doesn't trust Bruce right now, and he probably never will. But it's funny hearing him talking with uh, with uh, with Tim, who's saying, like, never trusted him. So it's it, it, it's really quite good. All right. And there's the new one, uh, Superman Beyond, where they took Superman. Hold on. Was it Tim or was it Dick? I can't remember now. Anyways. Should be Dick. Yeah, I think it was Dick. Sorry. I wasn't looking at the issue. Yeah, because Tim was the one that got turned yeah, yeah, into yeah, yeah, Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It was it was Dick. Yeah, because Dick's got a uh, eye patch now. He's turned into Fury. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a, a Superman Beyond now. And... I thought it was terrible. I, I and I mean I we've talked often about how much I love the Beyond um, IP, and this is like 
And part of it, I think, is because we're just not huge fans of Superman. So whether it's Superman now or Superman later, it's the same guy. It's the same kind of thing again where he's self-sacrificing, only now he's a little bit slower and can be hurt. And although he heals from being impaled, so that doesn't matter. So, But it's still the same kind of guy, and it's the same kind of story we've seen so many times, only now it's in the Beyond universe. So that's partially why as well. I was like, I really had little to no use for it. Enough so that I'm probably not going to pick up anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, last one, and something completely different. Did you read or have you heard of a series called The Reason for Dragons? The name rings a bell, but it's from, I got nothing. It's from Archaea. The writer is Chris Northrop, and Jeff Stokely is the artist, I believe. Yeah, illustrated by Jeff Stokely. Um, it's freaking awesome. <laughs> A story is fantastic. Not entirely original. Well, it is to a certain degree, but a lot of it is, you know, the kid who has got a stepfather that he can't relate to. So his imagination goes wild kind of thing. Um, But then it's, he's like, apparently walks into a place where, it's like a portal in time almost, but it's supposed to be a, a fair. And he meets up with this knight who could just as well be a character from a Monty Python skit. Seriously. and But this knight is recalling a story as if it's real. And you don't know if this is somebody who went to the fair in cosplay and just has lost their marbles. Or if there's an actual kind of portal and he's gone through and or that place is portal you know that kind of thing but it's so well written and and illustrated that i absolutely adored it cool so that's it all right then leading into this week's new releases from marvel we have black widow number nine iron fist the living weapon number five miles morales ultimate spider-man number four Moon Knight number six, the final issue with uh, Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby on board. New Avengers number 22, New Warriors number eight, Rocket Raccoon number two. As an aside, yeah, the first one was fun. (laughs) Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 14, Superior Spider-Man number 32, which is our kind of our lead into Spider-Verse coming up. And a big one for me, we have the next uh, original graphic novel, Thanos, the Infinity Revelation. From Image, we have Imperial number one. Uh, looks like it could be an interesting new title coming up from them. It's a miniseries. Invincible number 113, Nailbiter number four, and Tech Jacket number two. I completely missed that I guess the uh, Tech Jacket Digital did well enough that they gave him his own actual series again. Hmm. From Dark Horse, we have Usagi Yojimbo Senso number one. Uh, Stan Sakai coming back to Usagi, uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the character. Uh, by telling a story that jumps ahead 20 years into his future. It's been a long, long time since I've actually read a Usagi Ujimbo comic, and this seems like a really good place to jump in. Yeah. From Dynamite, we have Dresden Files, War Cry number three, and from Oni, The Bunker number five. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, when Roger's probably going to surprise me again, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah.